You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. In 1940, the third longest suspension bridge was, at the time, was built. It was in Tacoma, Washington. It was known as the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. And it opened to traffic on July the 1st of 1940. Problematically, and then that's a major understatement, it was closed to traffic on November 7th of 1940 because it dramatically collapsed into the Puget Sound. Now, there were no casualties, I think, as I read, except someone did lose a pet, uh, their dog, in that. But the reality of that bridge collapsing only five months after it was opened to the public into the waterway in which it was bridging between these two areas in Washington has uh, been studied for years in the area of physics and engineering and and even sound. As a matter of fact, early on, some of the explanations for the bridge collapsing was mechanical resonance. And I didn't do any engineering in school. Uh, I was a vocal performance major. But what I understand and what I know by what I have read and what I experience also in this life is that every structure, every object has a frequency. And then every... Even your body has a frequency. It's somewhere between like 3 and 17 hertz. And everything around has a frequency so that when something on the outside of that begins to have a frequency that's similar and the vibrations begin to occur, something begins to happen. It's the same reason why someone can sing at a glass, if you've ever seen that. And after a while, as they sing directly at that glass, if the pitch of the voice corresponds perfectly with the natural frequency of that glass, the glass will shatter. And so, most of the time, resonance is a good thing. Most of the time, that mechanical resonance or even that vocal resonance is a good thing. It causes good vibrations. Shout out to the Beach Boys. But that might include things like you want to have good resonance with, like an acoustic guitar. You want to have a good resonance with an acoustic guitar. You want to have good resonance with a lot of musical instruments, but you also want to have good resonance with your voice. As I said, I was a vocal performance major in college and then in graduate school. That's what I was doing at the time. And one of the things we worked on as vocalists was improving our resonance. Improving our and increasing our resonance. Technically, meaning that we wanted to have a greater amount of vibration in our voice and greater tone to our voice. So I was trying to learn how to control the vocal resonators in my body, if you will, my my throat and the nasal cavities and everything up here that would resonate. That's why when you have a stuffed up nose and you have sinus, it's like it hurts your head because it's supposed to resonate and it can't. So all those vocal resonators were trying to be, we're trying to picture things to make sure that our tone and what we're singing, is it thin and is it flat and is it soft, that we can increase our resonance. And I'm not going to prove that to you today, but I don't necessarily need a microphone to be heard in here today. Because I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to increase my resonance. 
And if I were to sing, I could sing loud enough to fill up the room. The physiologic, my wife said, yes, he can. Anybody that sits on the front row or near me knows that I can. We try to create more power with strong resonance. What does resonance do? It creates better balance, improved tone so that I'm not sharp or flat, extended range, and then more stability. What does resonance have to do with sharing the love, which is the series that we're in right now. We talked about sharing our love for Christ. We talked about sharing our love last week for our neighbor, and today we're talking about sharing our love for our church. Not just the church, although I love the church, that's right, that's, that's good, but this particular church, which I believe is important as well, because we have something that God has given us, a deposit that he's given us, something special that he's given to us, and just like we would brag about anything else that we love in our lives, we should be doing the same, except exponentially more when it comes to the body of Christ, our church. Not just the church, but our church. So to tie this together, I believe that God wants the church to have greater resonance. And that only comes when we view the church the way God does and we operate. Watch, this is what Paul used. We operate as a healthy body, which the voice is a part of. We operate as a healthy body as God has intended for us to operate as the body of Christ. I believe we as a church, this particular church, in every church, has a unique frequency that God is calling us to operate in. Something that God has put into us that's unique, that we, that when, when the Spirit of God moves through us in a particular way, there are such vibrations in what's going on that it has an effect on the world around us. And we need to increase our resonance. And I believe when we do, we'll have greater stability, we'll have extended range, and we'll have more power when it's pointed at and in the direction that God is leading us. It'll have a visible effect on places. It'll have a visible effect on people, on the community that we're in, and the lives that we encounter. The resonance of our collective voice will vibrate and shatter the kingdom of darkness while extending the kingdom of God. Yeah, you're going to have to go with my analogy today because it's going to be in this whole message. But hear me, we never do this alone. We never do this alone. God didn't save you to make you a singular part of nothing. He saved you to be a part of the body of Christ. The God we serve is a triune God eternally, and that reality of three in one constantly constantly reminds us that life is done within the context of relationship, of loving, sacrificial, intimate relationship, where the uniqueness doesn't negate the oneness, and the oneness doesn't swallow up the uniqueness. Listen, that is the description of the Trinity and the description of the church, where the oneness doesn't swallow up the uniqueness, and the uniqueness does not negate the oneness. Let's further this analogy between a resonating voice and the church. And if you think this is a stretch, remember, as I said, the Apostle Paul compares us to a physical body which we have all of these components that are a part of, and the voice is an integral part of the body. When one voice is singing, a solo, it can be powerful. That's what I did, right? A lot of my 
career, if you will, in school was doing recitals and singing solos, and that was, that was fun, and that was uh, something that I enjoyed, and it was powerful to have a solo that you interpreted well and that you sang well, but a solo can only be so powerful, and it can only be enjoyed by listening ears. And you can see a solo, it's like that if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, did, you know, like, did it? Re- if you're singing a solo and nobody hears it, who cares? So there's listening ears. So there's this need for other people. There's a need for the other parts of the body already. Also, no matter how powerful my singular voice is, it can only sing one note at a time. And it can only produce so much volume. And I can try to produce as much volume as possible, but it can only produce the volume that one voice can produce. But when multiple voices come together, multiplied power comes together, and they sing as one voice, or as the Scripture says, in one accord, then that power is exponential, and the extended range is exponentially greater than just the range of one voice. Also, it's much more beautiful when all those parts begin to work together in perfect harmony. And it's much more complicated. It's real easy to sing a solo. All I gotta do is depend on myself. But when I'm in a choir, and I got my part, but you don't have yours, you make me sound bad. Or I make you sound bad. The reality is, is it's beautiful, and it's powerful, but it's more complicated. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the church, just like a chorus or a choir, the saying is this, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And it's true, but it's more powerful and our reach is greater, it's more beautiful, and it's a lot more complicated. Let me share two prayers today that will serve as our main texts. One from the book of Romans and one from the book of John. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 15. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul, praying for the church. And he says this in verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Notice that the prayer is that we would have the same attitude as Jesus, which is others first, thinking about others before myself, self-sacrificial, that's the attitude, so that, why? So that our worship of God would be affected. We would have the same attitude as Jesus did about others so that the way that we worship God would be pure and holy and true. Oneness has a sound. Unity has a sound. It has a resonance. There's a resonance that comes from unity that cannot be understated because it reflects the very essence and the nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Paul is praying that we would be one voice and it would affect the sound actually of our physical worship. Oneness and unity has a sound. It has a resonance and a power. Jesus' prayer in John 17, actually, which is what I'll read next, is what Paul is really echoing. It's amazing, right? This prayer in Romans echoes Jesus' prayer in John 17. My prayer, he says in verse 20, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be you and I. 
that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This love that John is talking about is not the fickle, frail human love that we often experience or export. He's talking about that Greek word we mentioned last week, agape love, faithful love, committed love, self-sacrificial love, persevering love. That's what he's talking about, actionable love, love that actually has actions and not just good thoughts and feelings. A love that leads to oneness, a love that leads to unity, that comes from God alone because it is who he is in himself, the Trinity. He is one. And that love that we're expressing is expressing the love that is always and is constantly going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So why these powerful prayers about unity and oneness? Why Jesus' most, uh, uh, the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus about oneness? Why this prayer of Paul about oneness? Because when this takes place, when this takes place, when there's this oneness and unity, there is a spiritual resonance that crushes the enemy and strengthens the body. There is a spiritual resonance that comes out of the collective voice of the church when there is oneness and unity that crushes the deeds of darkness and that builds up the kingdom of God. Therefore, obviously, at the same time, the enemy hates this and he's working to pull apart this powerful synergy that God has called us and prayed for us to walk in. So then what does he do? He sows all that he can, discord and disharmony, which weakens and compromises the witness of the church. Not just our church, but the church. We see this in general in the approach that many people have had, and it's still popular today, that we blame everything bad that happens in our Christian lives, and even society at large, we blame it all on the church. Well, it's the church's fault. And I'm not talking about those outside of Christianity. I'm not talking about those that don't profess Jesus as Savior. I'm not talking about an atheist or agnostic who don't have any desire to speak highly of Christianity necessarily. I'm talking about those who profess to be believers themselves, talking about the church themselves. Be like me talking about what is the church called, the bride of Christ, and be like me talking about my wife badly to all of you. And yet that's what we, it's like, it's like the most popular thing to do. Even the word deconstruction has become like the go-to phrase in the modern church. And listen, I don't have a problem with that. I think every single one of us have to deconstruct bad philosophies and bad understandings of God's word and how it's affected our lives. At some point in time in your life, you've got to tear down what isn't true and what isn't godly and what isn't biblical and allow God by his spirit and through his word to build up what is. So I ain't afraid of the word. But I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon to blame everything that happens in this life that's negative on the church. 
Because we have to understand that with all the flaws, even abuse and the failures of the church at large historically and presently, they're not because the body of Christ that God set up is problematic. It's because those that make up the church, people like me and like you, are human. That's why I think we need to be careful when we speak about the church and these sweeping generalizations. Well, the church hurt me, so I'm done with church. Really? The worldwide body of Christ hurts you. I don't want to marginalize or overlook any situation where people have abused their power because it's happened, where people have abused their position in the church because it's happened, where people have manipulated your emotions for their own gain because it's happened. And if that's happened to you, I'm truly sorry. But the answer isn't to walk away from the church. Because that's not indicative of safety and the security and the beauty that the body of Christ is supposed to have and be present in the church space. It's not indicative of what Christ died for. Because wherever God has not been obeyed and Jesus has not been glorified and the Holy Spirit is not at work, that's not the body of Christ. God's plan is that the body, the body of Christ is following the head, which is Jesus. He's the head over the church, Jesus Christ alone. So we have to understand that's what we're submitting to at the end of the day, even with its flaws and even with some of its failures, the institution of the church. God has instituted the church, the body of Christ, to be the hope of the world through which he works. Listen, I'll just throw out another analogy Many of you have been to a restaurant where you got bad service and bad food, but none of y'all have given up food. So let's not give up on the gospel and the means God has chosen to display the gospel in the earth, which is the church, because of a bad experience at church. Let's go back to Romans 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oneness, unity, creates greater resonance in our worship of God. When there is no unity, when we're just a little bit off, when somebody's just a little bit out of tune, where there's just a little bit of disunity, where there's just a little bit of doubt, well, did you know this about them? Well, did you hear this about her? Well, did you see this? Well, I'm tired of this. And the gossip and the backbiting and the slander and all those things begin to happen. When all of that's just a little bit off, then there isn't that oneness and that unity and that resonance that God intends. Do you see even in that how difficult and almost impossible it is to be unified and love as the church? Why it's a miracle when we operate like that. The words in this passage in the original language convey this inner unity, a oneness of heart and mind of a group of people engaged in similar action. Not one person, what, agreeing with themselves, which is pretty easy to do. When a group of people begin to act single-mindedly, in harmony, in unity, and without dissent, they are operating in a oneness of heart and mind that is being prayed for right here. And the Bible says even sometimes that uses the word that we are in one accord. One accord. In the New Testament, this is an idea of oneness, this one accord. It emphasizes this internal unanimity. That inside in our hearts and our minds, we are one unanimously for God. And the reason the early church was so resonant, the reason the early church had a sound that was so powerful is because despite every cultural reason to be divided, they came together and were one. 
They worshiped together. They prayed together. They shared with one another. They fellowshiped together. And that word koinonia isn't like this kind of natural camaraderie. It's a deep affection for one another. It goes beyond just kind of human camaraderie where we just kind of get along. No, there's a depth of togetherness. And it's so hard for us to have this in the church today because of our hyper-individualism that we have kind of allowed to settle into our hearts and even our, our Western culture a little bit. We are so, have so much individualism that it's almost ruined our understanding of community and oneness. Consequently, what has it done? It's weakened the voice of the church. We might be trying to sing the song of the redeemed, but when they would write out those little judges would write out their little comments about our voices. We might be singing the song of the redeemed, but it's a little bit nasally and a little bit thin. That's not how you want your voice to sound, by the way. You want resonance. You want power. You want control. So God's not looking for an anemic, weak, soft-spoken church. I believe that's what happens when we become uh, and operate as individuals instead of operating as a people, as a spiritual family, as a body, declaring with one voice the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When we look like Jesus prayed that we would look in John 17, there's a resonance and a power that crushes the kingdom of darkness while expanding the kingdom of light. What is of primary importance to Jesus is that we would be unified and that we would love one another. Jesus is praying for a reversal of the fragmentation that defines human life and relationships up to this point that started with Cain and Abel. The purpose of Jesus saving us, making us a part of his church, and bringing us into the glory of God is our unity. That's what he said, verse 17, 20, chapter 17, verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. The power is in the parts. The power is in the parts coming together as one. Yes, we all have our part. But the power isn't just that you play your part. It's that all those parts come together as one unified, resonant, powerful voice. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The church is the most powerful witness to the world that Jesus is alive and real. The church, when it sings the song of the redeemed with one powerful resonating voice, is the most powerful witness to the world around us that Jesus Christ is alive and real and at work in our hearts today. I love miracles. I love to see people healed. That is a powerful and wonderful testimony of God's power. And as great as those signs may be, the most powerful is the supernatural life of God's people united in the beautiful, diverse community called the body of Christ, the church in the earth today. And to refuse to pursue unity and diversity as the redeemed people of God, as the bride of Christ, is to fundamentally neglect what it means to image God in the earth. People should look at us and say, wow, that bride is stunning. You ever been to a wedding and just like, wow, look at how he's looking at her. That bride is stunning, beautiful. You ever said that about the church? Wow. Look at, look at how beautiful that church is. I'm not talking about the exterior structure. I'm talking about your lives interlaced together in oneness through the Spirit of God. 
It's beautiful. As I said, Paul is praying about this, that there would be a sound of praise that comes out of a people like this, a sound of praise unto our God that resonates with the hearts of those who don't know him yet. There is a resonance, a power, an extended reach, if you will, that comes from God's redeemed people who are diverse but unified. And when people see and hear our love for one another, there should be an amazement and a wonder and a sign to the world of God's power. How did that happen? How are those people sitting at the same table together, worshiping the same God together, living life together? How is that possible? There's a sound coming out of that church. It sounds like oneness and unity. This isn't a new thing either. Well, you know, when did this happen? When the church started? Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 11. This is how the church started. So many different ethnicities thrown together by the power of the Holy Spirit to become a new people. A new people, a new family, a new body of believers who live life together and whose actions resonated and reverberated with power throughout the known world. A radical love for people that they used to hate. But it wasn't easy. It's never been easy. And it's still not easy. It's complicated. It's like we said last week, it's involved. It takes some work, takes patience. It's hard. Unity in diversity is the single hardest thing to do in the church, in my opinion. That's what my experience tells me. Unity in diversity is yet what the Bible has called us to be and to live by. The Bible tells us it's going to be hard. The world tells us it's going to be hard. My own experience tells me it's going to be hard. And it's probably why Jesus made it the emphasis of his longest recorded prayer. Probably why Paul echoed it in Romans 15. Because it didn't take long for the early church to figure out how hard it was going to be to live this kind of life as well. The beautiful new community that God had birthed in Acts 2 through the power of the Holy Spirit was not going to be easy to maintain. And the early church began to experience problems of discrimination in Acts 6 and Acts 10. And even in Acts 11, we see the Holy Spirit at work breaking down every division between Jew and Gentile in every way possible possible as he began to build his church in the earth. Faith in Jesus Christ was now replacing overt exclusion with overt inclusion of anybody who would call on his name. It's in Antioch where the disciples first get the moniker Christians. There was a new identity for a new people. The ethnically mixed group of people became identified primarily as people who follow Jesus Christ. The church received a new identity, and that's what it was. Wouldn't it be powerful if we, as an ethnically diverse group of people, were known as a group of people that radically love each other because we follow Jesus Christ? And not just because of what we say, and not just because of what we might look like on the externals, but by how we live in one accord with different parts singing the same powerful song of the redeemed. What is the song of the redeemed? Revelation 5, 9 says it is what? To him who sits on the throne be what? Unto the Lamb praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever, whose blood was slain before the foundation of the earth so that we could be one today. That's the song of the redeemed. 
Historically, at this time, it was a new normal. It was a new normal, and it became the expectation of every Christian community thereafter as churches were planted and grew in the diverse Roman cities that it began to spread out to. It was normal then for the church. It should be normal today for the church. And yet it isn't. The church should be the place to find the greatest unity in diversity on the planet. Let's move back over to the book of Ephesians where Paul emphasizes this unity we have. Again, to a very diverse group of people in the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 4, I love this passage. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, in prison, writing this, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one God who exists in a constant, eternal, diverse, mutually loving, and glorifying community within himself called the Trinity. And now the church is supposed to be the image of that unified God in Jesus Christ where we are a constant, diverse, mutually loving, and glorifying community called the body of Christ, reflecting our God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not remove our diversity when we come to know Him. Rather, He enables us to love, hear, seek, understand, and pursue one another in our diversity. It takes a ton of humility, which causes us to have power under instead of power over people. It takes willing to be wrong. It takes willingness to be teachable instead of prideful and right. And on top of that, we have to remember that unity is a work of the Holy Spirit not a work of our will. God the Father is committed to knitting the human race back together in Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? God the Father is committed to knitting the human race back together in Jesus Christ. God the Father is committed to knitting the human race back together in the name of Jesus Christ. So why would we fight against what God the Father is committed to doing in the earth? The Holy Spirit is at work in us as the church to do this. This is why despite the difficulty, despite the opposition, despite the frustration, despite the feeling that you're taking two steps forward and 12 steps back, we continue to press on towards the goal that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To be the beautiful gospel revealing community and church that God has called us to be. Resonating with power and a powerful song that Jesus is alive and well. He's worthy of our praise. He's at work in our hearts. We are not perfected, but we are on our way to looking more like him right now. This is the body of Christ that Jesus died for us to be. As I said at the beginning of this message in focus, I believe there is a unique frequency if you'll go with this metaphor with me, that God has called us to resonate in. As a church, there's a unique frequency that God has called us to resonate in, and it won't resonate with everybody. But when God meets 
what the voice of this church is saying by his spirit with the lives in the communities and the places that he takes us there's going to be a reverberation and a power that's going to go forth where lives are going to be changed communities are going to be changed nations are going to be changed because of what God is doing through his church not just us but I'm talking uniquely about us because we're talking about sharing the love not just for something broad but for something specific like when I share the love about church I talk about how I love the church that God's placed me in that's why this whole share the love initiative have you invited somebody here why not? Parents, have you ever said something super exciting about your kids that you're really proud of? I hope so. I hope you told them and then I hope you tell everybody else, man, you should see what my kid just did. Man, you should see what the church is doing. You should see what God is doing through my church right now. I hope he's doing, if you don't have a church, I want you to see what God's doing through our church. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to see what God could do in your life. See, when the world looks at us, the church, they should see the power of God at work. They should hear a powerful, harmonious sound resonating in the world around them. The kind of oneness in heart and soul and body that Christ made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit's enabling. It's a gift of God's grace, as Romans says. This is a church that resonates and reverberates in the world around us. This is a church... I believe that will shatter the strongholds of the enemy while building the kingdom of God around us. This is a church that I believe as we continue to sing with one voice and be who God has called us to be, that God will continue to do on earth as it is in heaven as he also taught us to pray. See, when the Holy Spirit of God, when the breath of God blows through the church, there's a vibration that occurs. There's a sound that comes forth. Can I say this just lastly? When you're learning to sing, and as a baby, you just do this automatically. You know, you, you breathe most correctly as a child, like a little infant. And then as we get older, we start to have shallow kind of chest breathing as opposed to diaphragmatic breathing. And I won't go into all of that, but there has to be breath in order for there to be life. When God created us out of clay, the Bible's very clear that the breath, he breathed life into that body and made it come alive. The breath of God, the Holy Spirit of God, that's what he's known as, the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. So when the Holy Spirit breathes through us, just like when breath, here's what happens to sing, when breath comes through our vocal cords and is pushed through, they begin to vibrate together and they make a sound. When the Holy Spirit began to blow through the church the first time in Acts 2, and the people began to resonate with the vibrating sound, the rushing sound of the Holy Spirit, they began to make a sound that caught the attention of everybody else around. What is going on? When the Holy Spirit blows through the church today, like I believe that he wants to do, he begins to vibrate with those that are resonating with God's doing, and he begins to make a sound through us. I believe it's a similar sound to what is spoken about Revelation, a sound that describes the voice of the Lord, that says it's like what? The sound of rushing waters. It's like the sound of a peal of thunder. It's describing, yes, the voice of the Lord, but it's also describing the sound of the multitude of saints singing to our God together. We need to love one another. We need to be one together. 
We need to be unified so that when the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, blows through the church like he desires to do, we are resonating with what he's doing in such a way that the sound that comes out of us shatters the strongholds of the enemy and builds the kingdom of God and calls people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You say, well, I don't know if I'm strong enough for that. That's okay. You could be a weak link. You could be a weak link in the body if you, if you want. Because guess what? In your weakness, God is strong. But you can't be a missing link. See, a lot of times we talk about, well, you know, it's just I'm, I'm weak and, and I'm, I'm not really feeling the church. And guess what? When you are missing and separated, you're not in one accord with the body. And there is no resonance to that voice. But if you want your voice to be stronger, if you want God's voice to be stronger through you, better put, then let's gather together in his name as one people, praising one God, one Father over all, and let that resonance reverberate through our community and the lives of the people that God is going to intersect your life with in such a way that as you share the love that you have for this church, for the body of Christ, God begins to do something in their life. It begins to resonate and vibrate in their heart and in their mind that Jesus is in fact the Son of God and the Savior of the world and the Savior of their world. That's our heart's desire. And I want that sound coming out of here with resonance and power that we are God's body, a diverse but unified community called to sing forth the praises of a God that has saved us and given us life. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.